Pat Zhang and Pat, we're in our last episode of 2020. We're so excited with where we are right now. We hope everybody had an awesome Christmas. And how how are you doing? Are you feeling good about where we are right now? It's kind of crazy that we're already here now at the end of of 2020, especially with our podcast. What we started early November, and uh, episode yeah, nine week. now coming out. Yeah, um, it, it's pretty cool. And so we we definitely want to thank everyone for their support through these you know first two months basically of getting everything going we love doing this for you and we hope you're enjoying it as well yeah so some action items that we wanted to put out first if this is your first time listening or you're a loyal listener make sure that you are subscribing rating and giving us a review on apple Podcasts. that really helps us out also make sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at did you hear pod to get all the latest insight from us and we're posting about our podcast on there too and lastly we just want to reiterate to engage with us let us know what you think what you want more of as we go into this new year if you love our baseball content if you love our nfl content we can bring more of it if that's what the people are liking so we really we're super excited about where this is going and we want to just continue in the future we even gave NBA a shot. So we're, we're we trying everything. <laughs> so we're trying everything. We're really enjoying it. Obviously, we love the Villanova basketball recaps. Those are yeah. put on hold while Villanova pauses for COVID. But those will start up again as soon as they resume their season. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to dip into a bunch of different things. One thing I know we want to focus on more is guests, which we had the great Dana O'Neill on a couple weeks ago. And we know as we go into 2021, we'd like love to have guests on periodically. And we already have someone we're pretty excited about lined up that, that should be joining soon. Not No announcements to make yet, but uh, it'll be a fun person to have on the show. Yeah, definitely. And, and you led me into it perfectly. I wanted to, we wanted to give our listeners some context here about where we are. It's December 29th. And we literally could have done, I think, six or seven different podcasts today, depending we on what direction. Back so many different ideas. Yeah. Okay. So the NFL playoffs will be decided next week. Our next episode will, without a doubt, be about football, college football, NFL, everything as we get into the real push of things in the postseason. Pat mentioned it. Villanova basketball has temporarily paused because of COVID related issues. So. We actually, we only had one game coming up in the near future because we had that St. John's game canceled that was supposed to be tomorrow, right? Yep, yeah, it was supposed to be the 30th, which they paused yeah. um, initially just so that the both teams could have a little bit of a break. Now, of course, they have right. COVID uh, playing into it as well. So that game against Xavier, who's now ranked, super excited about that game. That was postponed until mid-January, and we hope everybody involved is safe and healthy um, going back to the NFL, the Jaguars have now secured the number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft. They will get Trevor Lawrence. The Jets are on a two-game winning streak, which nobody expected. Dwayne Haskins is no longer on the Washington Washington football team. And Pat, the Cleveland Cavaliers are one of the few undefeated teams in the NBA right now. Things are wacky right now, and I love it. It's uh, it, it's it's been a it's been a crazy couple days for for the sports world, which is great for people like us. Yeah, literally, it's crazy. But that's not even mentioning what this episode is about. That's not even mentioning what this episode is about. So Pat and I are throwing ideas back and forth like we normally do. We decided today, this morning, as news came through last night, that we had to focus on baseball. We've done hot stove episodes. Now we have real legitimate trades to talk about and we are so excited to do that and to give credit where credit's due these trades center around a team that pat has been gushing about since the first episode of the did you hear podcast (laughs) i didn't know you were gonna say that thank you yes no it was definitely (laughs) cool especially on sunday night when when the snell trade went through which is what we're gonna center around in a second here due to the fact that he was one of the guys i mentioned for the padres when i went through alternate options to trevor bauer and it seems like aj preller is a listener to the show and decided to to take me up on that suggestion wouldn't that be great? Wow. <laughs> he should be sending you his, his thank you email this week, probably, yeah, I'm, I'm for the sh- idea. I'm positive that AJ <laughs> Preller is a subscriber. Um, so see, and make sure you hit that subscribe button so you always get notified when we go live. So let's talk about Snell. And then, of course, we have the U Darvish trade that also came through. 
Also worthy of note, Hasung Kim was also signed the Japanese uh, Korean baseball organization star. Three very noteworthy trades within 24 hours for AJ Preller. So he is already in running for executive of the year. Let's talk about Snell. 28 years old. He's owed just about $40 million over the next three years. The Padres acquired him and as a result sent right-handed pitcher Luis Patino, right-handed pitcher Cole Wilcox, and two catchers Francisco Mejia and Blake Hunt to the Tampa Bay Rays. What were your initial reactions, Pat? My initial reaction was that this is exactly what San Diego needed. That this is exactly what they needed. We talked about in that hot stove episode about how that rotation is fine, especially with Clevenger out for the year with the Tommy John surgery, but deeply required someone to to step in. And I am a huge Denelson Lamette fan. I think he's going to continue to progress and be one of the top line starters for them. But they needed someone to come in to solidify that. As we know, they got two pitchers to come in to solidify that. But, but with Snell, I mean, what excites you about Snell as well is that he's 28 years old and he signed for the next three years. I mean, that that's perfect. It's what San Diego needed in that way. Other thing over the three years, he's due $39 million. That's not that much for a guy that has potential to be one of the premier starting pitchers in the sport. Now, saying that, I I have to mention potential because he hasn't always put it together. Of course, the Cy Young year, he showed he can be as dominant as anyone, but around that, he's been good not great this past season he he was very solid but I think it's definitely worth taking taking a chance on that type of potential because as we've said you can see what he can do when he's on in 2018 and why I think this is so exciting for the Padres kind of leads into my did you hear is that Blake Snell had an 89% left on base percentage last season so 89% of the runners that got on base did not score that is by far the best in the Padres rotation. Now, I believe Denelson Lamette was second best there in the low 80s, and then the rest of the Padres were really in the 70s and below. So that is just to have a guy that can just eliminate run scoring once they get on base is so, so massive to be able to pitch out of jams like that. And this is a massive, massive shot in the arm for San Diego. It, we All we've done is talk about how good San Diego's offense is, and now they just continue to put the pieces together to make them just as good on the rotation side. So we need to talk about the Rays and what type of pitcher Snell was in Tampa Bay and sure. how that is going to transfer over in San Diego. But first, he obviously had the, the 2018 Cy Young season. He was undoubtedly the best pitcher in baseball. Easily. And because that happened, you just have to think that there are going to be glimpses of that in the future. So I think, no question, the return for him, I think, was worthy with how cost-effective his contract also is. So now to talk about the type of starter Snell was in Tampa Bay. He averaged fewer than five innings per start in the last two seasons. So as bullpen usage has increased and has as relievers have taken on more responsibility and as starters have thrown less innings, this is all kind of in tandem with the trends around the league. But Tampa Bay exacerbates that trend by 100. In that two-year span that I just said, he's recorded almost double the amount of starts of less than 80 pitches than he has of more than 100 pitches. So I'm very curious to see how much more of a load Snell will even be able to take on in San Diego because he spent so long being a less than five inning pitcher. And that's not what the San Diego Padres want from him. It's a really interesting point that you bring up there because it is very true. I mean, you're you're imagining that he's going to have some more stretch here going to San Diego because San Diego needs that frontline ace to to come in and I do think Snell has the abel- ability to do that what's what's also interesting and kind of goes to his value too is he's a left-handed starter and I mean it it's tough to find top end left-handed left-handed starters I also will say that I think this is going to be the best pitching acquisition of the offseason. We've already talked about how I am not the biggest Trevor Bauer fan in the world. Just when you look at the the numbers that Snell can put up and align that with the contract that he's left, 
I feel like that's really difficult to beat, and I, it's kind of just personified by San Diego getting him here. Another really it, interesting thing... Oh, go for it. No, it, it is the best pitcher to get because of all of those factors you just said. And the other thing that's so funny, honestly, is the way that he left Tampa Bay. Oh, what's, it, you, what's the image, the lasting image of Blake Snell in Tampa Bay? I don't think... That that had anything to do with it, obviously. Uh, I don't either. I think the that's way, blown out of proportion, but it is the last thing that's in our memories for Blake Snell in Tampa. And it actually works to the Padres' favor, because in that instance, he would have pitched the sixth inning of oh, a World Series game. Oh, absolutely. Game. So that's the usage point, too. But but go back to what you were saying. I would say there's just one thing that really, really excites me about Snell and the Padres and why I think this fit is basically perfect is that last season he had a ground ball rate of 49%. And so you're going to add him to an infield with Machado, Hosmer, and Tatis Jr., Cronenworth uh, at second base, possibly Kim now. We'll see how they shift things around. That's scary to put Snell, who is getting ground balls basically 50% of the time, to go with a top-tier defensive infield. You've got Trent Grisham out there in center field that can go get it as well. This is just... It's the perfect marriage. It is. And it's very exciting to see how this is a just perfect fit for both sides as I continue to use the same word over and over again because I just can't (laughs) think of any other way to describe it. That's a really good point about the infield and the ground ball usage. His slider, Pat, batters went one for 30 against it in 2020. The stuff he has, whereas Darvish, when we talk about him, I'm worried about how long Darvish can keep up this production. I hmm. don't worry about that with Snell. Sounds I like know the, the type there. of pitcher Snell is. And, and he's I 28 don't, again. He's, he's 28 years old. He's still in the prime of his career, and he has shown enough. It's not always going to be 2018 Cy Young level, of course. It's not ever going to be 2019-2020 Trevor Bauer. Like Those seasons are catching lightning in a bottle. But Blake Snell is consistent enough where he's going to be good every single year, and it's now just about how many innings can you get out of him. But this is my did you hear, and I was stunned when I saw it because you don't see this type of comparison so often with a guy in the AL East going to the NL West. Did you hear, Pat, that Blake Snell is 3-0 and against teams in the NL West, not including the Padres? He has pitched 31 innings, a 0.87 ERA, with opposing batters batting Point eighty against him. That's dominance, and that that has to be part of why San Diego is excited to add an arm like him because exactly. obviously smaller sample size in thirty innings, but it's it's decent enough that you can see that he pitches well against the division. Obviously, the two he's going to be playing up against the most, and what yeah. this move comes down to is how does it stack them up against the Dodgers? Okay, that's my biggest question. Can we wait a little bit before we get into that? Absolutely. <laughs> Because I want to talk about the return first. Sure. And the biggest win out of this San Diego, both deals that the San Diego Padres made, is that they didn't have to give up their premium prospects. So they gave Patino in this. He was their number three overall prospect in the system. He was the number 23 overall prospect rated by MLB Pipeline. The other guys were... The number seven prospect, the number 14 prospect, and the number 15 prospect. So it's guys that have had major league experience, but aren't going to completely shift the weight of this trade. Patino is one of those guys that could, and I think the fact that the Rays see enough in him to trade their ace is slightly scary. But the winner of this trade will be decided based on which pitcher is more successful in the future. But again, the Rays are addressing holes that they have in their lineup, mainly catchers. And they just got two catchers who are major league ready. Yeah, so just to we definitely have to talk about Tampa for a little bit. Patino, I, I think that's a really exciting get for Tampa. I mean, that's exactly what they're looking for. They now have a guy of six years of major league control at, at relatively low salary that they can go in. So we know that's what Tampa builds itself around. He's a very, very exciting prospect. I mean, he tops out around 100 miles an hour. The Padres mostly use them out of the bullpen. I'm going to imagine he's going to be a starter in Tampa Bay. I think that's a fantastic get for them. Francisco Mejia was one of the better catching prospects 
and and all of baseball just go back two years ago he had a a record 50 game hitting streak in the minor leagues hasn't really been able to put it together so far uh, up in the big leagues but someone worth a gamble at 25 years of age Uh, Blake Hunt's more of a defensive specialist uh, at catcher still a little bit of a way away there and Cole Wilcox is a is another electric arm that's definitely still a ways away but looking at that you know you've got Patino that can come in and and contribute from day one you've got Mejia that can come in and contribute from day one pair him with Zunino and you've definitely got uh, an an interesting catching platoon it's two not great defensive catchers uh, but guys that if they can tap into that offensive potential can be very very exciting I don't think Tampa made out terribly especially with the fact that Patino has the ability to be a top line starter what crushes Tampa here is the optics, the fact that they were American League champions and then are trading their star pitcher with three years left of control just two months after being there. That that hurts. It's exactly it. I cannot imagine being a Rays fan. I really can't because this is what you have to deal with. You have to deal with dealing away the best player on your team because he's, I'm putting this in air quotes, too expensive and he's which is not 40 even, do- 40 yeah. million dollars over three years exactly teams teams that, would kill for that type of pitcher at that price right the 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 way that they're built there's just a fundamental difference between other teams so they'll be operating at about a 52 million payroll next season my question is will they ever pay a star like if it isn't blake no. snell Who's it going to be? What other player on their roster is going to get going to get, get paid? I can't think of any anybody besides Tyler Glass now, and they have never really paid pitchers. If you're going to pay anybody, you would think that it would be a top positional player. Maybe Wander Franco. They're they're high, Maybe. highest rated. He's the number one prospect, prospect in all of baseball. Yeah, I, it just it's crushing to see this on a loop, and it's just the carousel of players coming through. And that's not to put down how good the Rays' developmental system is because they continue to bring out these really great homegrown prospects. But it's just, it's crushing is the only word I have to describe it because they keep sending players away in the prime of their career. Now they don't have Snell or Morton and they're rebounding after their AL East championship season. And I don't even, I think they're going to be worse than the Red Sox this year. It, it's going to be tough for them. I mean, the, going back to your previous point, the one guy that they really paid was Evan Longoria when they signed him, but that was in 2012 when they signed him to a six-year, $100 million contract uh, for them. Otherwise, as you said, they don't pay players. Listen, it, I think it's difficult to doubt Tampa because we know that their scouting and player development is is top tier. Uh, we know that, you know, listen, they found Randy Rosarena off the scrap heap. They, they absolutely robbed Pittsburgh in the Chris Archer deal. They're, they're dangerous, and I, I think that they're still going to contend next year, especially if Patino can can fill in. I think that they did a very low-risk-type deal on Michael Waco, one year, $3 million. We'll see if the That's Rays true. can kind of work their magic on him because he was not good in Queens this past season. So I'm, I'm not going to count Tampa out, and I think that they can make a— a route for themselves to the postseason of course they're going through a brutally difficult division where the blue jays are going to keep getting better the yankees are going to be good boston should be improved so i still think tampa is going to be there around the playoffs but to just to trade your ace it, it hurts that's that's the bottom line this this stings it was really interesting to read about all of those trades where chris archer was the obvious loss you can maybe say that there was a loss when they traded tommy Pham and uh, got back, and, and Cronenworth, and got back some of those guys that you see them in, in San Diego doing pretty well now. But Tampa just, do, they don't lose because they have this carousel. Like, they just, they continue to pick guys off of the scrap heap, just like you said. And nobody expected Randy Arena to be as good as he was. So I think it's worth mentioning that I wonder how long this is sustained is sustainable for this type to not That's keep any players under control. And I don't know how you build a fan base out of that either. <laughs> they it's what it comes down to is they are betting on that. They are better at player development and, and player acquisition than anyone else. That is what they are betting on. 
because they continue to to shuffle pieces around and play musical chairs here. And you know what? Things have worked the past couple of years. But it'll be interesting, to your point, to see how long can they keep shuffling these chairs and coming out as playoff contenders. Yeah, and when you look at it based on Snell versus the prospect hall that the Rays got, initially Snell wins because we just haven't seen enough of Patino. But having Snell in that rotation for the Padres that's already competing, the Rays have taken a couple steps back, and now they're going to have to see what what these rookies can do. And on on San Diego, now you're just saying, okay, are we better than the Dodgers now? (laughs) Do you want to approach that question? Do you want to go Darvish first? I I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you first. No, actually, you know what? We got it. We got to do Darvish first. I'm sorry. I, we got to do Darvish yeah, first. Let's go with Darvish first, then we can attack that question. Okay, so the day after Snell, actually the night of Snell, the Padres acquire Darvish and his personal catcher, basically Victor Caratini, and the Cubs acquire right-handed pitcher Zach Davies, who we talked about on this show as being a very solid back end option of a rotation I like Davies. and then four prospects I'll, I'll say their names just for the sake of saying them reggie preciato owen cassie ismael mania and yison santana all of those guys are in the top 20 in the padre system none of them are within the top 100 in the mlb pipeline prospects so w- what were your initial thoughts on on this one so interestingly enough i'll start with the cups on this one and First off, it's this it's a weird one because I'm in two minds with this deal for them. The first is that I like that they dealt Darvish. I mean, think about it. Go back a year and the big talk around it was how much of a disaster it was that the Cubs had this contract on their books through 2023. You know, the six-year $126 million deal. It was not turning out very well in 2018. He was he was injured, only pitched 40 innings. 2019 did not pitch very well, started to find it a little bit towards the end of the season, but still not great. Then, of course, goes out there, finishes second in the Cy Young this year in the shortened season, pitches fantastic. On on that note, I think it's very smart to move Darvish because his, his value is never going to be higher at 34 years of age in that contract that he signed on. But the return just puzzles me. And that's where I have a problem with it for the Cubs. I get moving out from under that contract to give yourself some more flexibility. I really, as we talked about, I really like Zach Davies and think he's going to be able to slot in and pitch some solid innings for them towards the either middle or back end of that rotation. But to trade for a bunch of basically 17 or 18 year olds where they're years and years away from the bigs and you just are kind of hoping that one of them sticks, that's kind of bizarre to not to not look for at least one guy that's you know in yep. double or triple that's even a, that close pushing exactly yeah. that is pushing on to major on to major league baseball and someone that you think can be an impact prospect like listen i get it they kind of went for the quantity here and hoping that one of these guys hits and they are so young so they are able to get them into their system and try and develop them but that's a little bizarre to me especially when it looks like that this is going to go into full-on rebuild soon i i would imagine that you want to get something back a little closer. And I, listen, I don't think they were looking for a bunch of major league ready guys, but just just closer. It just That's where this kind of feels strange to me. Okay, so I just said for the Rays, they're in the position where they can plug holes with their prospects that they got. That's why they went after those catchers, because the Rays have been so weak at catcher for years. The Cubs, on the other hand, they're looking for the best talent available because they have no idea what the future of their franchise holds they're about to have a lot more holes in the next couple months i believe they're about to have i think no question this means that chris bryant will be dealt to deal Uh, to deal you darvish we saw it coming but this just means that the and and for the haul they got back chris bryant will be dealt the the thing with these prospects is that none of them have started a professional game the return here is too young, and I, and I think that just puts back the Cubs' rebuild even longer than it should be. Fine, you you say, you accept, I guess, as a Cubs fan that they're going to rebuild, but you don't want it to take five or six years. That's past Anthony Rizzo. That's past Javi Baez, if they end up signing those two guys. That's past uh, Kyle Hendricks. So these guys, you would would at least hope that these prospects that you got back for the pitcher that finished second in the NL Cy Young voting would at least at least be able to compete 
when this team gets things back together, and I don't even think they're there. No, I, I don't either. So that's what's just so strange about this is that I love the idea that they traded Darvish. Like, I get it. He's 34. He's making all that money. His value will never be higher. You're about to go into a rebuild. Do it. I don't understand the haul. I cannot believe that this was the best thing they could have gotten out there. It just, it really surprises me. And it's weird as a as a market setter, too. So the, the big moves we've seen so far this offseason have been trades. These these two trades and then Josh Bell being sent to the Nats. We haven't oh, seen any of the big pitchers really come off the free agent market besides like Robbie Ray, and he was already on the He Blue was Jays. like the first day of uh, yeah. free agency, basically. Well, th- think about this. I believe as, according to MLB trade rumors, 40 of the top 50 free agents are still available, and we're about to go into January. It's Wait, so painful to deal ba- with this MLB offseason. Baseball free horrible. agency usually moves slow. This yeah. might just be the slowest it's ever been. Yeah, and we th- we were saying the same things last offseason with Machado and Harper and Kimbrell and all that. But it's just... When I heard the news about Darvish, I was more worried for the Padres just because I don't know if you can count on Darvish being as healthy, most importantly, being on the mound and logging those innings, but also as productive in the future as he was this season. He's 34. He's owed $62 million over the last over the next three years, so that's obviously considerable more amount than Snell. The good thing is that for both of these contracts, they're under team control through 2023. So you have a little bit of room to work with, and that works especially well with Clevenger coming back next season. But some stats that made me feel a little better, since the start of 2019, Darvish has Darvish trails only Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom in strikeout rate, over 31%, and that four-seam fastball in 2020 was absolutely lethal he used it almost 15 percent of the time average speed of 96 miles per hour when he threw that ball he only got eight hits and 39 at bats and he got a 42.3 percent whiff rate on that pitch that was the highest among starting pitchers so when his stuff is that good it makes me really excited about what you darvish can be in the future i just don't know like Dealing with the the injuries that he's dealt with, dealing with the age that he's at, fastball makes me feel a little bit better because, sure, maybe you see the velocity fall a little bit, but if it's still really good, it's still really good. But I see him falling down the rotation a little bit as the years go on in San Diego. I do too, but I'll tell you why I think this works for San Diego and why it makes sense. The first and the biggest thing is what they traded to get him. I mean, if they were going, if they were picking from the top end of their prospect pool, then I would have a harder time with this, but we just discussed the haul for the Cubs. Zach Davies, I wouldn't love to give up just because you know he's a solid back end of the rotation starter, but if you're replacing Davies straight up for Darvish, you'll take Darvish in this situation. Right. But two numbers here that I look at for Darvish, which I think will work really well for him, is that in 2020, he posted a career high in home runs per nine, which was way down from what he had been the past two years at 0.6 per nine. And he also was way down in walks per nine. So if he, now he's going from Wrigley Field to Petco, we just talked about how San Diego has a pretty solid defense. These things work in his favor. So even though he's aging, like you said, that his spin rate is usually one of the higher ones. As, As you talked about, his whiff rate was really good the last season. Like, There are some advanced analytics here that actually say that Darvish is looking better. Now, again, I've said it every single time, and I will continue to say it because if I say it for one player, I have to say it for the other. It was a shortened season in 2020. He pitched 76 innings, not 180. But those trends are in the right direction, and they're they're numbers that can at least especially when you go to home run, home runs per nine and walks per nine, you're not looking for dominance there as a guy ages. It's not like you're looking at fastball velocity. So they can kind of keep that up even through later years as he goes into age, you know, 34, 35, 36 seasons. So I, I think this can work for them, especially the fact that he's going to have a little bit less of a role when Clevenger comes back. Snell is going to be at the top of that rotation. Lamette is going to continue to to progress. You've got Mackenzie Gore, who I think is going to be the front runner for Rookie of the Year. I think it makes a ton of sense. Gore for Rookie of the Year. 
Oh, watch out for my it. God. Wow. That was really, that was a really hot take, Pat. I believe it. If it depends on when he comes up to the majors, of course. Yeah, uh, he but, could be eligible next season too. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see what Preller decides to do there. But if Preller's going all in, which it very much seems like he's going all in, I wouldn't be shocked to see Mackenzie Gore start the season uh, at the big league level. And I yeah. think he's got potential to win NL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I think he. I actually think he definitely starts in the starting rotation. The numbers you said about Darvish are very encouraging because it's control. It's how good he is with the baseball. It's, the, it's control. And if you can count on Darvish to be very precise, and maybe he's giving up more runs than Snell and Clevenger are, but he's consistent, he's durable, if he's healthy, he's damage. stable. Yeah, limiting the damage. And then you have the guys, Snell and Clevenger, when they're healthy, and they are just have nasty pitches in their arsenal. So it's actually a kind of cool, like, Pitchers know what to expect from Darvish, whereas with Snell, he could throw that changeup, he could throw that slider. Same thing with Clevenger. So I actually think it's interesting, too. I When I first saw it, I thought Snell would be the ace and Darvish would be number two, and I've been seeing a lot where Darvish would be the number one guy. I've seen that, too, which is yeah. interesting because I still put my faith in Snell there. Uh, but if listen, if Darvish is your two and drops down to a three or four in a year when Clevenger comes, comes back... You could be doing a lot worse, which is why I do think this is absolutely a win for San Diego uh, when you, as we said, factor in the return and factor in the role that, listen, Darvish is going to be relied on heavily in 2020 or in 2021, but in 2022 and 2023, I think you're going to see him relied on a little less, which, you know, make, kind of plays into their plan with him aging as well. It, it's, it's a smart plan from Preller, and I, I think he deserves his, his plaudits for this. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. If you, if Darvish has half as productive of a year as he did last season, he is still a very worthy number two guy. And it's I upgrades really over that. what they had, and that's what's yeah. important. Yes, very, that's a very good point, too. It's an upgrade, and I think we also we're not talking about Lamette because he's obviously still there, but I'm he finished fourth. I'm a yeah. huge Denelson Lamette fan. So I think I, he he's, he's super to young too. Yeah, he continues to progress. I think right now. The Padres come out, well, definitely they come out as winners in the Cubs trade because they gave away prospects to a real rebuilding Cubs fans and Cub uh, franchise, and we won't see these players for like four years. If that. And then in the Snell trade, you just wonder what Patino is going to be like, and you think that those catching prospects are pretty unpredictable. Whereas I think would, Mejia's got some potential for that. Yeah, too. but Snell is still the obvious yes. win in that situation. All right, let's transition to the farm system. And my question for you is, did... Were you questioning at all, in terms of quantity, how much the Padres had to give up? No. Uh, in, a, in, a short, in a short way, no. I, because they were able to avoid giving up Gore, because they were able to avoid giving up um, their top infield and catching prospect that I'm blanking on their names right now, but they didn't have to re- like Patino. He he stings a little bit because he's got a ton of potential. He's already pitched at the major league level. He flashes brilliance, but on top of that, it, it nothing kills them here. Yes, as you said, they absolutely gave up some quantity, which will hurt them uh, kind of at their depth levels. But when you're adding two frontline starters. When you're going for it like they are, when you have as talented as an offense as they have, I, this is these are the type of moves you make when you want to compete for a National League championship. These are the type of moves you make when you want to compete for a World Series, and that's where San Diego is at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the prospects that they didn't have to give up. Number one overall, Mackenzie Gore. Number two, that shortstop, C.J. Abrams. Yep. Number four, their catcher, Luis Camposano. Number five, their outfielder, Robert Hazell. Number six, their left-handed pitcher, Ryan Weathers. You can continue down the list. In the teens, that's where things get a little bit spotty. But I agree. I do not think, I think quality over quantity here. They still have potentially the best farm system in baseball, and they gave up seven prospects, eight prospects, for two of the best pitchers in baseball. It's a no-brainer to me. It's not even close how big... The Padres came out as winners here, and they finished with the second best record in the NL last season. They reached the first. The, they reached the postseason for the first time in 14 years, 
And they, <laughs> this is crazy. They returned starters at all eight defensive positions. Pitching was what they needed to upgrade, and that's exactly what they did. They continue to replenish their farm system with with deals down the road. And we also haven't talked about how active they were at the trade deadline last, when was it, June? When they got Austin Nola, when they got Cronenworth. Like, these guys have made an impact, and now the Padres just continue to build on this. And now here is the very simple question. I feel very strongly about it and don't think it's that complicated. Do these moves make the Padres better than the Dodgers? Oh, you want me to go first? Please, please agree with me. Uh, my answer is no. Okay, mine is too. My, my I don't answer, think it's close. I don't think it is. And you know what the funny thing is too? The Dodgers have a big move in them and it just hasn't happened yet. I don't know if it's going to be LeMahieu. I don't know if they're going to be the team that buys in on Bauer. I don't know if they start to use their trade chips and go after Lindor. They're going to do something big, especially the fact that San Diego is now poking the bear with all these moves. Their roster is already unbelievably talented. We've talked about it before when we talked World Series about the depth that the Dodgers have that is just completely unmatched. That rotation is still young. I could gush about the Dodgers forever as I gush about the Padres. San Diego is good. And you know what? They should have a wild card basically wrapped up. Uh, with how talented I think that roster is going to be. But no one's better than the Dodgers. The, no one. And I I firmly believe that LA still has a big move in them. Me too. And I think even if they didn't, I think they would still be the better team. And it's interesting. I actually wish you had said that the Dodgers, so I could have just blown you apart. But, <laughs> but uh, I think they're better than the Braves. I, and I think too. that's saying something because I think the Braves are a very dangerous team offensively and in the rotation. I Before these two moves, I would have said that the Braves were definitely better than the I'll Padres. I'll take the Padres pitching over the Braves pitching. Yeah. The, the, where the position players are interesting because those offenses are so dynamic and so yeah. explosive. But with these two additions, I'll now take San Diego's pitching over Atlantis. Yeah. I'll play devil's advocate on the se- uh, for a second on the offensive side. The Padres, in almost every category were the second or third best team in all of baseball in the 2020 season. It was shortened, but here's some stats to think about. They had the third most wins behind only the Dodgers and the Rays, who won the AL and the NL, respectively. They were basically tied with the Dodgers for fifth in pitching war. Hello, they didn't have Snell or Darvish before now. That's impressive. They were second only to the White Sox in position player war. They were the third best team in slugging percentage. They scored the third most runs and they stole the most bases. To get even more specific, only the Dodgers converted more swings into hard hit balls and no team had a better chase rate cut down from the season before. So they improved from two seasons ago to last season and now they're even more improved from last season to this season. And that is what makes the Padres so dangerous because they are progressing more than any other team in the league. Well, what I can tell you as well is I'm not sure there is going to be a more fun team in baseball to watch than the yeah. Padres. And we knew season. that we knew that already. That was how, exactly like, that's the core they have is must watch baseball and it's so good for the sport too. Oh, this is great for the sport. Especially the fact if you can see the rivalry now with the, you kind of saw things start to kindle up again between the Dodgers and the Padres. I have a feeling things have the potential to go to overdrive next season that's great for the sport to have the dodgers and the padres gunning at each other like that it's this is going to be fun as we said i do believe the dodgers are still the better team but these are not minuscule moves from the padres things are going to be very interesting they absolutely should be a playoff team next year now even if it is as a wild card and that nl west race is going to be must watch all season long yeah, I completely agree. And I think it puts the pressure on the other NL teams to reach the standard that they're at. So, I mean, quickly, Josh Bell was traded to the Nats. I think that ele- elevates the NL East. I heard today rumors that the Nats are looking for another middle of the lineup bat, and I immediately thought of Marcelo Zuna. We know how you young. Went to Ozuna. I think they're in for Real Muto, and I can very much see Real Muto oh. ending up in D.C. That would be so bad for the Phillies. Oh, it's so so bad. <laughs> it's it's not good optics when the Mets are going to go out and get someone. If the Nationals right. go out and spend money, it's it's not going to look pretty. Okay, I hadn't even thought of him actually. 
I I just think the the outfield depth is something they need to improve upon because Soto is really their only guy. He's gone. Taylor's gone. No, that, that's very true. I can't even true. think of any other outfielders the Nats have. It just, <laughs> it's, it's that a, low. I think a key with that is going to be once we get some clarity with the DH rule because Ozuna has continued to get worse and worse on defense. Um, but of course, we know how good of a bat he is. So if there's a DH, I think it makes a ton of sense to just add a, that power bat into the lineup. If you're going to have to kind of uh, square peg into round hole him um, in, in left field for a season, the bat should be good enough that it's okay. But you are going to suffer a little bit defensively. I completely agree. That's a good point, too. Okay, I have something that I would very much like to see happen. I would like the Milwaukee Brewers to trade Josh Hader to the Padres. I would not rule that out because I think Milwaukee is absolutely going to dump some money at some point this offseason. We'll yes. see how they do it, but I think Hader's probably the most likely candidate of that. They've also rode him for so long and pitched him so many innings. Yep. He's, I think there's a decent chance he goes somewhere. Now, if it's San Diego that goes all, all, all in and goes for him too, man, things are interesting. Uh, another team I'll say is a team we discussed, the Dodgers. Why not for them to be yeah. able to go out and add him? And then I'll say the Blue Jays as another destination that could be very possible because we know that they've hoarded up some chips and are able to, to are looking to make some type of impact acquisition, whether it be through free agency or a trade. But I think yeah. that there's a at least decent possibility that Hater gets moved. At this point, we're saying that the entire NL Central is rebuilding. <laughs> That's where we're at. I think Bryant goes to the Dodgers. Oof. I think... Hater goes to the Padres because I don't think they're willing to spend money on Liam Hendricks. I still think he stays in the AL, but having Hater in the bullpen, that is still a weakness that the Padres have. Like just it as much for is. the Dodgers, they have that weakness in the bullpen. Even without Snell and Darvish, they still have a top 10 rotation with Clevenger and Lamette and Davies before this, this trade happened. Now, Relief pitching is really the only thing that still pops up as a question mark. And, and to go out and get Hater, the best relief pitcher in the game for the past five seasons, three seasons, that would be over the top. I still, Again, still not better than the Dodgers, but second best team in the NL, maybe better than any other team in the AL as well. Yeah, San Diego does have to add to their bullpen. They have Drew Pomerantz and they have Emilio Pagan, who I like both of those relievers, but that's kind of it right now. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested to see what they're going to add there. And I do have a feeling Preller is going to go there. It's just what type of commitment, as you say, are they going to make? Do they continue to throw dollars at someone and go after Hendricks? I'm not sure. I, I don't think that that's the fit that Hendricks ends up in. Uh, but it'll be it'll be something to watch. But I just I do want to mention on Josh Bell with that deal going through to the Nationals. First off, interesting happened on Christmas Eve. They did the same thing five years ago with an impact acquisition when they acquired Daniel Murphy through free agency on Christmas Eve, and that worked out. So the Nationals will only hope that works out as well as that. But I think this is a really intelligent move for for the Nats and for Mike Rizzo in that they're buying low on Josh Bell. And Bell in 2019 came out like crazy out of the gates, had an incredible season, and then started to really tamper off there or taper off in the in the second half of the season. Still put up very solid numbers. I mean, he finished with 37 home runs and a 280 average. 2020 wasn't great. Pittsburgh was just looking to move him. He's still got a couple years left before free agency. Also, 2023, they haven't got, thinking to the Nationals, they haven't gotten a ton of production out of first base, even in their World Series year. I mean, it's been Eric Thames and Ryan Zimmerman for the past couple of seasons. Bell has the potential to, I don't think he's the full player that he was in 2019, but I also don't think he's the player he was in 2020. I think he settles more in the middle of that. And even with that, that's going to be a very strong bat to add to the middle of that order, plus the potential to add someone else through free agency, a Rio Muto and Ozuna, someone like that. I really like this deal for the Nationals because, as I said, they bought low on Bell. It's plugging holes. The first base is their biggest weakness on this roster. I talked about the off uh, the outfield, but first base, they have not had a productive player since Ryan Zimmerman in his prime, which was years ago. As good as, as Zim is and how important he is to the franchise, compared to the other first basemen in this league and how productive they are, Josh Bell at least puts them into that talking conversation. So 
I think it's huge. I think Josh Bell was literally an MVP conversation when he was as good as he was at the beginning of the season. He was that good. And if he can get close to that, if he can cut down on the strikeouts and, and build up the contact rate, that's all the Nats need because it's immediate upgrade for what their first base already was. And if they can have, okay, you think Soto is maybe third, Bell is four, and then they have another guy fifth, Rio Muto or Azuna as options right now, that's pretty good. That is pretty and good behind the Trey, Braves. With Trey the, Turner the, as and well. At least. And Carter yeah. Keboom is one of the, the top position player prospects that didn't show too much in 2020, but not someone I'd want to count out. No, th- this Nationals team... They had a down year this year. A lot of it had to do with injuries, especially pitching-wise. This is not a team you want to count out, especially if they're able to make another acquisition to them. The offense is going to be really good. We know they have Strasburg, they have Corbin, uh, and they have Scherzer. It's Scherzer's obviously on the way down in his career at this point, but still, th- this is a much better team than I think a lot of people are giving them credit for. And the the Bell move was just a very savvy piece of work from Mike Rizzo. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, when you lay it all out like that, if the pitching can rebound to what they were when they won the World Series, oh my God. I think they have a better rotation than the Braves, definitely. The offense is probably less, but you add another impact guy in there, and who knows? And then maybe Josh Bell improves, Juan Soto is MVP form. Things could get interesting in the NL East, too. Listen, we talk about it. Let's just skip out on the NL Central and watch the West and the East because <laughs> yes. I think you were going to have some huge battles out on both coasts this year with the, the amount of quality in both of those divisions. Can I end with the rotation look for the Padres in 2021 and 2022? Definitely. In 2021, Blake Snell, you Darvish, Denelson Lamette, Chris Paddock, Mackenzie Gore. 2022? Mike Clevenger, Blake Snell, Yu Darvish, Denelson Lamette, Mackenzie Gore. That is top five in baseball with a top three offense. I, Pat, put me down on the record. The San Diego Padres will win the World Series in 2022. Fernando Tatis Jr. will be the MVP. And Blake Snell will be the NL Cy Young winner. I love it. Should we get the Sports Illustrated cover like the Astros? Did? Yes, I would like that. I would like that, except they're not going to cheat this year. I would say let's not make a podcast about them cheating, though. Hopefully that doesn't happen for, for San Diego. But they, as you said, they are loaded. It was kind of into into the point that I made about how I think this just makes a ton of sense for how they're planning to progress as a team as well with the Darvish deal. It These pieces just work with each other. It's, it's fantastic from Preller. And they absolutely are going to be a contender this upcoming season they're going to be most likely even better the next season once they get clevenger and 100 percent have a shot at taking home a world series title over the next couple of years yeah i just wish it could be dodgers padres in the world series uh as, listen that if we can get so that fun. as an nlcs i yeah. think that would be be pretty exciting yeah it's just and as fun as it was for the rays to do as well as they did last year with such a low payroll and such a small market it's the same thing the Padres it's fun to see small market teams be so successful and with the young exciting core that the Padres have you just hope that this makes baseball even more fun to watch and bring all those fans back who have been bored over the the years and I don't think that's the case anymore it's been a long 14 year postseason drought before this past season for the Padres and now I think within two and three two to three years they are contending for a World Series and winning one it's just better for the sport for a smaller market team to build that core kind of around Tatis Jr. You go with the younger player you acquired, spend the mega money on one player really in, in Machado, though Hosmer's on decent money as well, and then go all in with trades like Snell and Darvish, Clevenger. It's, this is exciting for the sport. It's good for baseball, and things, things for the Padres are definitely on the up and up, and they will absolutely be a team to follow, a team to watch, and probably the most fun team in baseball in 2021. I agree, and that's exactly why we had to spend the whole podcast talking about them. Exactly. (laughs) And now, like, three podcasts talking about how good the Padres are. (laughs) (laughs) But they've got a lot of talking points, which is good for people like us. And that is why I I could have picked probably seven numbers for the craziest number I heard this week, but I actually took it to college basketball. Go for it. All right, so the craziest number I heard this week was 22.6 
And that is the average age of the Wisconsin men's basketball <laughs> team too. starting yep. lineup. You heard this? Ugh. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's I'm laughing because it's just it's crazy, right? 22.6 as an average age for a college basketball team. Think about what the discussion we just had last week about yep. Kentucky. That's exactly why I brought it up. Please, I do not mean to steal your thunder. Go for oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's it's goes perfectly from what we were talking about last week. Wisconsin is the number six team in the nation right now, and they are led by all players who average 22.6 years old, and they could all return next season. But the reason why that number stuck out to me too, 22.6 for Wisconsin, the average age, Pat, of the starting lineup for the Chicago Bulls, oh no, 21.6. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that's why with one and dones becoming as popular as they have been, you see these really young guys. I mean, they're, they're players on the Bulls who are 19 years old. Yeah. And there are players on Wisconsin who are 22 who are getting the most out of their college experience. And you see it paying dividends because Wisconsin is such a successful team this season. And it's so interesting, too, because you hear about it all the time where like players get crushed if they stay in school. That Oh, they're not as attractive to NBA teams if you're if you're 20 my god 22 23 years old entering the draft you you have to you know roll the dice on an 18 19 year old look at what wisconsin is doing right now for for ken palm they're they're the fourth ranked team in the country behind baylor gonzaga and nova they're ninth in offense and eighth in defense who cares about their nba prospect ranking when it comes to that it's i love to see things like that they're battle tested. They're experienced. They know how to play together. They're eight and two right now. They're one of the better teams in the country, and it's I love seeing stuff like that. So that is an awesome stat to bring up. I knew you would love it, and it's and it's also in a conference as competitive as the Big Ten, where nine teams are ranked in the top twenty-five. There's one other that's receiving votes, but in a conference that competitive, leadership and experience are what matters. And we talked about this. <laughs> Pat, Pat went on his rant last week. Like, <laughs> There's definitely a rant. Yeah, that's what matters. And it's interesting to me because the NFL is so different. Joe Burrow is older than Lamar Jackson. Yep. And nobody talks about it, cares about it, worries about it. And it's when in, in the NBA where if you're 23 and a rookie, that's suddenly seen as a bad thing. I think players should be getting as much as they can out of their college experience because for them, it's just as important as their NBA career. Take the time to develop. Don't right. come out as these unfinished products, which you see all the time is guys rushing out of college to get to the pros. And you can very clearly see that they're not ready. It's okay to spend two years in school. It's okay to spend three or four and to work on your game and, and be ready to go to the next level. And it, so, no, I'm, I'm completely with you on that point. And again... All f- five of their biggest players could return next season. Hmm. So we could see Wisconsin get even better as they develop even further. And that's very scary for all of the other college basketball teams. <laughs> it is because they are very, very good this year. So right. it will definitely be interesting to watch. My statistic of the week for the second straight week is not a positive one. So I think in 2021, we're just, I'm going to have to work on being more positive. Um, <laughs> hey, when it's bad, you got to talk about it. it. Exactly. And you had actually mentioned this this player um early in the show you didn't even realize it but it is my statistic of the week and that is 30 and that number is the average qbr of dwayne haskins through his first two seasons in the nfl just released from the washington football team as you mentioned just so i say 30 as a qbr 100 is the scale just to give you some comparisons here so you kind of know where haskins 30 ranks well first off out of 36 qualifiers this year, he is 36th. To go with some other quarterbacks, the much maligned Daniel Jones is double that at 60. Think about how much of a disaster Carson Wentz has been this season. His is a 49. Cam Newton can't complete balls 10 yards down the field. He's at 45. And Sam Darnold has been just, has no weapons around him whatsoever and is at 42. Haskins is at 30. 30. Just to show how bad he has been, a first-round pick, 
he's had a ton of issues off the field as well as on the field for Washington with decision making. I mean, go back to a year ago when he missed the the kneel down because he was taking a selfie yep. with, with the fans. Yep. He's had a multitude of things that have gone into it this season. I, I I am completely on board with Washington moving on, and his play has been so bad on the field, and he has been so toxic off it. I'm not sure that he gets another shot in this league, which would be incredible to go from a first-round pick a year ago to out of the league in possibly two years. And how good he was at Ohio State. Oh, he lit the world up at Ohio State. He actually could have gone higher in the draft than he did. Remember how much— He was linked to the Giants at six. Yeah. People thought he was he fell way down. The only thing I have to say is just how unstable that Washington organization yes, has been. and that been. is a fair point. And I wonder if they just completely screwed him. Oh, it's and if he hasn't he hasn't been able to develop properly because of all of the upheaval that's gone on there. That being said, do I think he's better than a lot of backup quarterbacks in the league? No. And with the way that quarterbacks are trending now, like Carson Wentz could be on the block next season, on the trading block. Sam Darnold could be on the trading block. Dwayne Haskins just continues to fall further and further down the list. And couple that with the offseason antics, which nobody wants to deal with, that's where things start becoming a problem. It kind of reminds me of Josh Rosen a little bit. Just of uh, Josh Rosen was the year before him. Top 10 pick, he was a backup, and he's just been pushed further and further down the system, has never really had a chance to develop into the talent that people thought he was. The thing is, Dwayne Haskins has gotten the chance, and he has been so abysmal every time he's gotten the ball. Yeah, I actually have more faith in Rosen still being able to develop into something if he gets a chance somewhere. Than, than Haskins now to to be fair Tim as you said Washington is is not the place is not the premier destination for for development and stability for for quarterbacks surely uh, but just the adding that combination of how horrific his quarterback play has been on top of the headaches that you've had to deal with with him I I do think that there is a legitimate chance that he might not get another chance somewhere else and it's kind of when you look at the numbers like that it, it's kind of no wonder why Washington has moved on yeah it's crazy to think about just because of the name but those numbers and where other quarterbacks rank Carson Wentz being almost double him I mean that's that's when you know things are trending in the wrong direction yeah so is Alex Smith the quarterback of the future in Washington no absolutely not they are getting they a wonderful run they are getting a wonderful run out of Alex Smith. He is comeback player of the year for sure for the craziness that he had to deal with. It is going to go down as one of the great stories that just as a human being, he was able to fight back from this. Yeah. They have to find a quarterback in the offseason. They just they just have to. So if they win the division, I mean, the, the best they can pick is what, 18-19? Yeah. Be interesting to see what their options are there. They may be in on this, you know, tr- quarterback trade carousel, which is looks like it's going to get set into motion this year and you could have a bunch of quarterbacks change teams actually which could be very intriguing but yeah i think they'll be in on that i think the same thing i i think it's awesome that alex smith wins comeback player of the year his story is absolutely incredible but it's quarterback is the glaring biggest weakness on this washington football team that otherwise they've got a has been roster. very good their defense is very good if they can Booster, bolster up some of their offensive line. They have the offensive weapons. They have the defensive start front seven. Like that is a very good team to work around. All you need is the biggest piece, the most yeah. important piece in quarterback. It is. It's so true. I, I do like their roster. I think they've got the coach in place. They just they they have a placeholder at quarterback right now, and that that placeholder is is going to be Alex Smith. Um, so we'll see how long that lasts. But all right, ready. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I I those numbers were really good. I think we I'm really happy we focused on baseball because we had something that we absolutely had to react to and then we were able to pull it out and I'm super excited for our playoff episode next week too. 
yes, next week will be a ton of fun as we preview the NFL playoffs as well as probably talk a little college football as we will be getting ready for the national championship game. But that'll do it for our show, our last show of 2020. We want to thank everyone that has listened so far for just listening, downloading, anyone that has supported us. I, ca- I cannot tell you how much Emma and I really appreciate that, and we're going to continue to look to grow this thing in 2021. We are super excited to hop into 2021 with this show, continue to grow it, continue to interact with you guys, and kind of see where this thing takes us. So we a massive shout out to Blue Wire and Blue Wire Hustle for giving us the chance here in 2020, and uh, cheers to what our potential is in 2021. But that'll do it. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Leave a rating because that helps us out a lot as well. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DidYouHearPod to let us know what you think. And we'll be back at it, what, next Wednesday with our next episode. So for everyone listening, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And Emma, that's a wrap. 